This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have back on my friend Tony Treach. Uh, really like Tony. Uh, we've become friends over the years and always good to catch up to him. Uh, the guy is always going so hard for these Western hunts. And um, so today we talk about uh, uh, tough season drawn tags as Tony hasn't drawn much this year and just making the most out of the tags that we do draw. Uh, I always like to talk to Tony about scouting as uh, he's relentless in his scouting and trying to find trophy animals. Uh, he killed a couple great bulls the last couple seasons, and so we talk about that and some different options for tags, uh, like a landowner tag that he secured. And um, then we just talk about keeping fit as we get older and, and uh, dehydration in the mountains and just a bunch of good subject matter that has to do with these Western hunts. So I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Zamberlin. Zamberlin makes the best boots and shoes that I've ever worn. They just don't cut any corners as far as quality materials and craftsmanship. They're just absolutely amazing. So you guys know that I like the lightweight shoes. Uh, so they've got a couple pairs. Uh, really liking the Free Blast. I used those last season. Uh, they're just like a burlier trail shoe. So Vibram Sole. They're waterproof. And Zamberlin's waterproof on their boots and shoes is unlike any boots that I've ever owned. Like usually waterproof capabilities wear out in a month or two of hard use. Zamberlin's are still good to go after a couple years. And they test every single one of their Gore-Tex booties that goes in every single sing shoe and boot to make sure that it's waterproof. So uh, you can count on it on your hunt and keep your feet dry, which is a huge part of it. So uh, the Free Blast using last season, the Saluth, they also have some great low-cut uh, hiking boots. So uh, they came out with a new one in that Saluth series. So I think that'll be a great lightweight boot. Uh, and, and every different preference uh, for boots and shoes, they have them there. So if you're looking for some new uh, footwear for this hunting season, make sure to go check them out at Zamberlin. I also want to thank Cryptech. Uh, I have such a, a great system put together for hunting the West. And I have a system put together for the early season, mid-season, all the way to the late season. I uh, just love their gear offerings as it um, keeps me comfortable in the mountains. And uh, it's like the first line of defense against any weather, adverse weather conditions. So uh, you can check out all their gear. They've got a great camo pattern, that Obscura Transitional, I think blends in better than any other camo pattern out there, which gives me a real advantage in the mountains. And uh, a really good cut in their pants and their tops and really thoughtful designs. Uh, you can tell that they've put it through the, the R&D of guys hunting the West. So uh, you can check them out. They're over at cryptech.com. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is that internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. 
Um, they they have all the top name brands as well as their own name brand. I saw Clint out here a couple weeks ago, and he was wearing Black Ovis gear and um, looked like high-quality gear. Uh, I've also seen a sleeping bag of theirs that was really high-quality. So uh, they've got a great name brand, and you can save 10% off your order. So uh, 10% is a bunch off these top name brands, and you just put in the promo code ELEVATED10, and uh, that'll save you 10%. I also want to thank Camo Fire. Camo Fire is this app where you have 80 new hunting deals come up every 24 hours. Top name brands. Most of the time it's like overstock gear and things where you can save a pile of money. Uh, so you can check out that app over at Camo Fire. And with that over at Eastman's, um, just working away. It's been busy over here. But, uh, yeah, we've got that mule deer course. If you've got a mule deer tag for this year, it's sure to cut your learning curve by years uh, in just the couple weeks it takes to go through the Internet course. It's all uh, done in a, a video catalog with chapters and subject matter and basically everything I know about hunting mule deer. It's just a deal at like 99 bucks. I think you can save 10%. You put in the promo code BRIANMDC, so that's like 90 bucks. It's such a value for what it is. So you guys can check that out. Uh, just search uh, Eastman's Mule Deer Course. And then um, check out uh, Dan and I's new podcast, uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal: Life of a Pot, Life of a Bow Hunter. I almost said Life of a Podcaster. That's about right right now. Uh, but I'm really proud how this is coming out. It's like every episode is really good, and um, we just have a really good chemistry. There just it is so information packed in every single episode. So if you enjoy this podcast, you'll enjoy that one. It's on a different feed. You got to go search for it. Uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal: Life of a Life of a bow hunter, life of a podcaster, <laughs> and um, yeah, you can check that out and uh, leave me some uh, reviews on iTunes. That seems to really help the algorithm and share it on uh, IG or social media if you enjoy the episodes. So with that, let's get into this podcast with Tony Treach. This is Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Offer there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, this has been frustrating app season for sure to say the least hey you're usually pretty good at um getting a uh, a few of those tags and filling up your season yeah i've got i've got a couple but nothing like no you know yeah i don't know if you want to save this for the podcast or not but it's been like even the vouchers i've lined up or in the past are you know those guys want to sell those to people they can guide preferably so the DIY is kind of last on the list and they're you know they're they are gone so oh no uh, yeah so yeah it's gonna be it's weird like I haven't even sent out any, any proposals for my films because I don't I don't even know what the heck I'm gonna be filming I mean I got a Montana general deer and elk that's that's about it hmm. so well, we can just get chatting, and I can just tie this in uh, whenever. But, yeah, that's tough. I knew uh, you really liked those vouchers and put together a couple awesome films the last couple of years chasing those elk. But, yeah, you're saying that they um, – I guess uh, uh, people that are being guided take the precedent in those landowner tags so those outfitters can guide them. So the do the DIY guy is, like, last to get them, huh? Oh yeah, yes. The only like the only reason I've gotten them the last couple of years is because someone backed out at the last second. So and then I get a discounted rate, and uh, I don't th- I don't think they're going to be discounting your rates nowadays with the demand the way it is. But uh, but 
you know, they've cut some tags. I heard, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I was told that, that was going to happen. And then, and then, yeah, they just got enough demand from people who are, that want to go guided that, you know, they don't have any left over basically by about this time of year. So I'm still looking. I mean, I, I, whatever it's, it's, I'll, I'll work as many hour, overtime hours, whatever. I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do this time of the year to, to be able to afford it. Um, just to have the experience. Um, I mean, I mean, even get, just getting a general tag for a non-resident is getting to be, you know, pretty darn hard. I mean, I, I, I didn't look, but I, I think the Wyoming general tag and for, for elk and just, I think it's went to five or six points uh, for a non-resident now. So, heck, I remember it wasn't long ago, non-resident could, could get it second choice <laughs> or, you know, or at least every year. Yeah, it's uh things are definitely changing, right? It's like when we first started traveling the West, man, you could have the best tag, like the best archery units, and you'd you'd draw with zero points or one or two points would get you some of the best tags in the nation. And now that just isn't the case. It's just gained popularity, and a lot of these units, you know, I'm sad that I'll never get to hunt again. Like Unit G, I'll never draw again, or uh, you know, units in Colorado, like that 55 and places like that, I don't think I'll ever be able to hunt again. I mean, I keep adapting and um, somehow keep uh, coming up with tags and filling up a season, and there's still good places to go. But, man, it's getting tougher and tougher, and especially a guy like you that doesn't have a Western state residency, uh, man, it's got to be a little nerve-wracking coming into application season. I'm a non-resident everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's not... <laughs> It's like no one wants me. And uh, yeah, I don't even apply for elk here in Michigan, my home state, because uh, it's just not its not the hunt I want. I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, the DNR takes you out there and points at them, you know, in some farmer's field, and like, here they are. So, no, I'm, and yeah, I'm a non-resident everywhere. It's getting harder every year. And some of this, you know, whatever, I can blame myself for, I mean, heck, I've made, you know, you know, I talk about how great Kansas is and, and how the Plains states and how much I love hunting them. Well, now I can't draw a tag in Kansas. So, uh, and I'm and I'm sure that you know myself and other guys that talk about it on podcasts are part of the reason why it's you know, like, so I can point the finger right at myself. But I did not draw Kansas again. So this is two out of the last three years that I I did not have a tag. What you you know, a hunt that used to be 100 uh, percent or or close to it, anyways. Um, you know you. I think it was 95 or 90 percent, and I think I, I think last year last year I had a point, so it didn't matter. But then the last couple of years it was it was a little bit lower than that, but it was still good odds. I think it was like 70 or 80 percent, maybe it was a little bit lower than that. But I, um, out of th- the three of us, my two buddies and I that were going to hunt together this year in Kansas, none of us drew. We all had zero points, but um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. Hopefully they cut the tags. I have not looked at the proposed or you know the final numbers of what you know what Kansas tags look like, but I mean, it was so dry last year when we were there that, um, I mean, I, I, no one's ever seen it that dry. It's, it's the driest they said it's ever been. We were last November when we were there, they had not gotten any precipitation of any type since April of last year. And then they didn't get any snow or rain this winter until I think they got like nine or 10 inches, uh, midwinter. And then just recently they've started to get a little bit, it's not much, but I mean, place in time you know because last year i mean nothing came out of the ground there was no new grass so even like the crp and stuff they had enrolled i mean I, everybody was putting their cattle on it just just to keep them alive and paying them whatever the fines 
to the CRP because they didn't have anything to feed them. Um, you know, you always see all these old bales of hay down there just stacked up, you know, just falling apart. And I was, and I was wondering, like, why the heck do they keep this stuff? I mean, it's just, it's like junk. They, and now I know why. They, they fed all that stuff to their cattle. Like, they were running out of things to feed them. You know, the, the Milo and stuff that was, that they planted last year never really came up, never, you know, headed out. So they just put the cattle on that. And, I mean, when I was there last November, you could go down to the local grocery store and buy a ribeye for like five bucks a pound because the slaughterhouses were just getting overrun with people bringing their cattle in. Like, I, I, I can't, I have nothing left to feed them. And what cattle were out there, you know, they're just walking around gum in the grass or the ground, which is, you know, like a quarter inch tall grass. It's all just gray and brown. The deer definitely suffered too. Like, you know, the buckeye shot, I had had video and we, you know, I tried to put Blake on him the year before. And he lost like 30 inches of antler. Um, so, I mean, if there's if there's one good part to this is, you know, maybe this is the year you don't want to have a Kansas or, or Nebraska or, you know, some of those super, super dry eastern Colorado. I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be tough hunting. Um, I mean, I'm sure, I know it's spotty. I've talked to other people who, you know, they're not too far, like an hour away from we were, and they got a couple of key rains last summer and, and maybe a little more snow this winter. So, it's it's spotty across there, but it's not good. And so, yeah, I don't think I got I got off of the subject there of how, how tags are hard to draw. And, but that's been the most depressing thing that happened to me in the last two weeks here is, you know, Utah kicked me in the teeth and said no tag for you, and then Kansas, <laughs> you know, none of us drew. And um, yeah, so come on, Colorado. <laughs> I need those driver's results to come out and be good. Oh, my gosh. There aren't too many states left for you, Tony. Yeah, Colorado, I bet you got your fingers crossed. Yeah, they're just getting tougher and tougher, and it is this conundrum between – you know, promoting what we love to do, this adventure and being able to to bow hunt and to to hunt these different locations and go do it. It's like the the coolest thing on planet Earth. And when we first started, it wasn't too popular and it seemed like it'd go forever. There was always a way to get tags. But yeah, as it gets more popular, it gives us hunters a good voice to fight for, you know, bow hunting rights and to fight for hunting rights, which is good. Uh, but in turn, it, it makes more people that want to go to these places and apply for these tags and have these experiences, um, which make it a lot tougher and tougher for us to get tags. And I, I keep talking about and saying that, you know, when we do draw the tags, it's just about spending more time in those places and really dedicating ourselves to those opportunities and tags. And, um, you know, in this year, the timing's so good. You talk about how dry Kansas is and, and Nebraska and Eastern Colorado and, you know, the northern states took a beating this year as well with the winter kills, you know, in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho. But the the states to really go would be like that southern Colorado or uh, definitely like that southern Utah, Nevada. Like they're out of the drought, out of a 10-year drought and got a ton of moisture, which is really good for their populations. But, yeah, it, it's um, wild how much that drought can affect it. And I'm not sure, you know, like that – Eastern Montana was hunting so good for, you know, the last couple of years. And then last year they had a bad downturn. And I'm not sure if it's like a mismanagement by the game department, you know, not keeping control of how many hunters and how many units. And then all the new residents that are moving to Montana, 
uh, allowing 16,000 non-residents and then allow them to go to whichever unit they want. But, you know, the deer populations are way down in a lot of my spots as of last year. And they, they put a lot of that on the drought. I also think it's mismanagement and things. But, yeah, it's tough to see these spots that have been so good to us historically for years or 10 years, 15, 20 years, and to watch it go downhill man it's a a real shame and i know you know it seems like everything is always changing and we have to adapt to it there's still opportunities out there uh but it is getting tougher and tougher a guy's got to be pretty crafty nowadays to end up with a tag and then you know to end up arrowing a nice critter on that tag as well yeah i, I think you know if nothing else uh you know i do have a couple of tags uh i'm just gonna have to dedicate as much time as I can do it and just focus on it and make the best of it. I mean, it's whatever. I mean, it, there's, it doesn't, uh, it's not the end of the world. I'll still be able to get out there. And even as much as I complained about last year and getting my, my butt whooped by uh, the antelope with that archery tag in, in New Mexico, I, and I, ne- I said, I'd never do it again, but I applied in Nevada for archery antelope tags thinking I would never, wouldn't get them. And I drew one. So I'll, uh, I'll be, I'll, I'll be suffering. I'll have a good solid uh, suffer fest to start off the season this year. So <laughs> I love antelope, Tony. Yeah, I um I was happy for you last year to be able to get that experience to be able to go chase antelope and and some that are the biggest in the country, but they are a frustrating species, man. Their instincts are so keen, and especially like up close. Like I don't, you know. Oh, uh, rifle hunting antelope, like I'm sure there's a challenge catching the right buck in the right place and then executing your shot and could be long range. But with a bow and arrow, man, and, um, you know, there's like, uh, you know, there's definitely easier ways to kill them on water or fence crossings or, you know, I'm sure I could dedicate myself to that. But that is no easy feat either, as you've got to sit days in the heat and be so patient. But that spot and stock with antelope, man, it takes, um, it's like the truest test of your spot and stock skills because you even think about coming over a rise or peeking over <laughs> some grass and they see you, you know. And so, uh, but I do think it really sharpens your spot and stock skills. Oh yeah, no, I, I felt pretty sharp coming out of there. I felt pretty lucky to come out of there with many of those Mojave green rattlesnakes that I crawled up on while I was stalking that buck. The one I found that I kind of fell in love with, and I, and, and like, you know, I've never, I'm not, I'd never hunted antelope bucks before, and uh, so I'm sending pictures of all the bucks I'm buying into buddies, and they're like, nope, nope, keep looking, because it was a glory. I mean, I, I'll probably never draw that tag. My odds were, like, basically nothing to draw it. And I, when I finally found one, they're like, you need to kill him. Uh, and I I mean, I've put all my focus on him. And he, I mean, he made it easy to make stocks on him. I think I had 20, 25 stocks on him in the in the 10-day season. And, <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't leave. There was this big chunk of ground, you know, and he wouldn't leave it. It was uh, it was all fenced in, uh, piece of state property. I think it was two miles by one mile, and it rained like half the time I was there. So they weren't going to water, so you couldn't do that. They were just drinking out of the mud puddles, and that sucker would not leave that. That the other antelope would leave, and he would just stand out there and wait for the the does to come back to him. And so I mean, I just crawl in, get busted. I tried buck decoys, doe decoys. I tried the cow decoy. I tried just sneaking in. Uh, one time he let me. No, twice he let me get drawn at a very long range, and that antelope was 
15 feet away from where he was by the time Nero got there. Like, it was just like, oh, what am I even doing here? This is just, this is just a waste of time. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think I'll, I'll have to, I mean, the area I'm going in Nevada is going to be a little bit different terrain. So I'll have a little bit better chance of, of stalking in tight. The, uh, and, and I, in hindsight, I should have just abandoned that buck because if he wasn't going to leave that, that big pancake flat area, I like, you know, the, the sagebrush is only 10 inches high. So, and it was full of those damn snakes. I bet I, I saw more snakes last year in New Mexico than I've seen my entire life combined, like rattlesnakes. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't remember how many I saw. It was nuts. No kidding. You'd see snakes every time you'd crawl in. Uh, you crawl oh, into a snake. Face to face, like, like crawling in, you know, moving my bow ahead of me. And all of a sudden, thank God my bow's ahead of me because I would get them agitated and, and shaking their tail before I, my face was there but yeah there was a couple of stocks where i just stood up and walked away like you know he could see me like i'm like screw it i'm not i'm done i'm not doing this i'm not crawling in here anymore and of course a couple hours later i'm like all right I'll, maybe maybe there's no snakes over if i come in from this way and, <laughs> yeah, no. well that uh the topography makes such a difference on success uh spot and stalking with a bow and I know a lot of times hunting antelope here in Montana, that's exactly what I have to do is I'll be chasing a good buck in a piece of property or I'll be hunting certain pieces of property where I'm getting stocks. And um, it's just too flat, not enough ungulation, not enough topography. And, yeah, it seems like mission impossible. I've, I've had to stop shooting at antelope because they do jump the string so bad. And once an antelope's on to you, like you say – it isn't even close. That that buck will be 10, 15 feet away by the time the arrow gets there. And so, uh, you know, I have some other locations or places that I've found with more topography or ungulation. And it it seems like a day or two in that country after hunting flat stuff, and I can usually get it done on a pretty nice buck just due to the terrain I'm hunting. And so sometimes that's exactly right. It's just what you need is like a change in topography. There is... Like definitely country that's gonna bow hunt better and country that's gonna bow hunt way tougher and sometimes it just feels like we're beating our head against the wall to try to get something killed in that flat open country or whatever the the ungulation is that we're hunting. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And yeah, I, I shot myself in the foot by not not trying to find another good buck in, a, in an area that was was where it was killable. I mean, it, uh, yeah, I just fell in love with the wrong animal, I guess. Much. <laughs> Probably done that before with deer, yeah. but it, it was yeah. But yeah, I'm gonna give it a, give it a heck again this year, and uh, we'll see what happens. But. Well, it's a blessing and a curse, Tony, right? Because the, yeah. the blessing is is like falling in love with one animal. Like you've killed uh, some amazing animals, including the elk last year and the year before. Like uh, you really stick to your guns when you set a goal in mind. And your goal in mind isn't something that's out of make-believe or fairy dust. Like you, you find an animal through your scouting, through your miles – uh, either pre-hunt or at the beginning of the hunt, you find an animal and then you get really hyper-focused on that area, that animal and trying to figure them out. And then, you know, a lot of times you come out on top. It's just these um, these animals' instincts are pretty keen, and when they get this older age class, like, uh, you know, they, they seem to beat us as much as we beat them, you know? It's like um, I found oh, a yeah. lot of good critters over the years that I've dedicated myself to that I don't get an arrow in, and he ends up winning the season. Uh, but 
every once in a while you find that animal that you fall in love with and then you play the chess game and come out on top and that's an amazing feeling when it happens and so it is a bit of a blessing and curse for you Tony because you are so good at locating these good critters and then really setting your sights on them where that is the only animal you're going to be happy with and a lot of times you know it's worked out for you with some great trophies yeah yeah sometimes I, I i think maybe i should just not hunt them and just 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 find them like i'll just i'll just find them for friends and then because honestly that is half the fun it's just you know it's like a giant hide and, hide and go seek game but yeah the killing part can be can be a little frustrating um but that's okay but if, you know if, it, if we got them every single time and it was a cakewalk then probably wouldn't be be so interested and wouldn't be so dang worried about getting tags this, this fall so yeah it um yeah that's what keeps us coming back and keeps us like dedicated to the craft and working so hard on all those different facets and you know it's like the the better we get to it's the better our chances at killing that animal too you know the better our shooting and stalking skills the better like our 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 strategy and um calculated stocks and things of that nature like I do think that we continue to improve and get better and give ourselves a better chance. But I, I do, um, I do love the finding them as well, like putting on the miles and it's, it has, you know, it is hunting. It's just not the stalking and shooting and not that chess match, but it's just as fun. Like looking for those big critters, you know, like looking for an opportunity or looking for an animal that you want to really focus on. And yeah, you are really good at that. It, it is it's your dedication to the craft. Like you put so much time in and you're scouting and then so many miles, it seems like a day or two or five days doesn't bother you a bit. Heck, you'll look 10 days for the right animal, you know, and then uh, you're just not afraid to put in the time on that animal. And it doesn't happen every time, but man, it sure is sweet when it does come together. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, and that's the biggest thrill to me. Uh, when I, when I find something, I, I want to take home and, uh, man, find them in a killable location when the season starts. I mean, you just get butterflies in your stomach and, um, you know, when that feeling goes away, I probably focus on my golf game more, but it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, scouting to me is, uh, I mean, I look forward to it this time of the year more than, more than the actual hunt season. Like I'm, just crazy excited, but you know, when I, if if I get a deer tag this year somewhere, uh, you know, I'll just be pumped to get into the mountains or the plains, wherever it's at, at the foothills, and just start tearing apart country and, and marking places off the list. Um, that's what really, I mean, that's that's what I dream about is setting up the glass and and, and finding finding something that 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 does it for me. Uh, the actual you know, I don't, I don't often dream about, you know, walking up to them after they're dead. I, I don't know, as weird as that sounds, um, it's, it's defining them. Yeah, I, I like the, um, I like 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 the action of hunting them. Like I like, um, I, I like finding them. Like is definitely fun for me, and I get that rush of adrenaline. But I like it once I'm in the chess match trying to kill that animal. Like really. 
like matching wits with them and trying to figure out the right approach. And, you know, I, I like it when it's drawn out and it takes multiple days. Like, I just love playing that game with the bow in my hand, I think is the funnest part. But you do, um, you know, and even if you don't draw a tag, like another tag, like hopefully you end up with that Colorado tag you're after. But you do have the Montana uh, deer and elk, and Montana's not known for its deer, but we do have great genetics uh, and some older age class animals. And, you know, it's like as these tags get tougher and tougher, it's like, what do you do? You either give up and start playing golf, which definitely isn't in my personality or <laughs> yours. And so it's like, well, you just got to work hard at the tags you do get and the opportunities you do have. And it may be an opportunity for you to hunt like some of our high country here in Montana, which we have some really vast, rugged high country that holds some great bucks, you know. And um, so y- you never know that that may end up being your September if you don't draw something else is really trying to look for a good deer here in Montana. That's a good point. Um, all the Montana deer hunting that I've really focused on in the past has always been on the eastern side or central part of the state. And later in, in November, uh, in a, yeah, actually, I might have to start looking at uh, different options uh, now that I have that gen tag combo. Um, yeah, just got to make the, make the best of what we got. Yeah, the, like the breaks in Badlands are great for those rut hunts. And I... I like those hunts as well, and especially with my bow and arrow, I know I can get multiple opportunities, but they're just something about a dark, heavy, timber, like, big mountain buck, you know? And, like, so there's some some amazing places that I've been to and found great bucks and chased great bucks, like, in the Bob and um, in the Missions and in the Cabinets, and they're more like coastal mountain ranges, but there's some great deer in them and good deer populations. It's like... They're a bit tougher to kill in that country because there is more timber and more cover. So I tend to prefer if I can draw, you know, some of these other states like Utah or Nevada or Colorado. It seems like I've got better chances at a high country hunt. But, yeah, there's been years where I don't draw one of those tags where I do have a Montana general tag where I'll just burn it all September long backpacking. And, like, some of these mountain ranges like the Missions or Cabinets or the Bob or whatever are just the wildest mountain ranges, man. They're like... Like a salad bar, neon green still when you're hunting them in September, and then um, just real rugged cliffs and like, um, man, you really got to be careful just navigating country from basin to basin. Like I've never been so scared in all my life as like hunting a place like the Missions where I've been cliffed out multiple times and tough to change drainages, and then even the grass slopes will scare me as they're like 70 degree grass slopes, you know, and then. Um, you know, there's some great bucks in there. So, yeah, you just uh, you never know where Western hunting's going to take you, but that might be where your effort is. And I'd I'd love to see a season of effort from Tony Treach, like in one of these Montana mountain ranges. Dude, you might just fall in love with it, where that's the only tag you want. <laughs> or I get eaten by a grizzly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can happen there's... as well. We uh, we I just saw a sow and a couple cubs the other day. In fact, Dan Hevern, which you know, which we've shared a hunt together yeah. before. Uh, Dan Heverin arrowed a great black bear the other night, and we arrowed it like right below a sow and two cubly, cubs grizzly that was in the meadow above him. Uh, but yeah, Dan made a great shot on this bear and then went down into the creek bottom in there and, and died. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, you guys are brave. I, uh, you know, hunting by myself most of the time, I, I, I've, I've absolutely uh, uh, steered away from grizzly areas on purpose. Uh, 
but I mean, I had that one charge in 2014, I think it was, or 15. And I, I, I mean, ne- never been, never been that scared before or after. Uh, and that was, yeah, it, it sends chills down my spine just thinking about being alone out there. But, but that's probably why the better, there's some better hunting in there. Yeah, you know, it's like um, it's like any of these dangers. I mean, you talk about New Mexico and crawling around with those rattlesnakes, make my hair stand up. Like that's enough to scare <laughs> me out of that place. Like uh, you know, there's dangers everywhere we go, but I, you know, you do get comfortable in grizzly terrain and grizzly country and encounters and avoiding them and realize that they're not hunting you out there. And so, I don't know. I've got like maybe I'll get eaten next year or something and I'll eat my words but you know for the most part you're like just looking out for the sow and cubs and you're looking out for uh like a bear that's claimed to harvest like a dead elk or something like that and so it's like keeping your head on a swivel and then giving them a wild wide berth and then you know like I just try not to get in inside that 100 yards like inside that 100 yards of a grizzly bear's fight or flight and I don't want them to have to make that decision so a lot of times I just sneak out of there and don't give them my wind and then you know you see sign and you see bears and it's kind of like okay there's a bear up on that top meadow let's avoid that place and even the bear that we killed you know was quite a bit below that sow and two cubs and we've seen her before up on that upper meadow pretty confident she's going to stay in that same area the the thermals the downhill thermals are coming downhill so she's not going to get sent to this bear we killed until the next day and so you know we felt pretty comfortable moving in on that bear but um yeah it's like all these dangers we deal with i mean heck tony all the backcountry hunting you do be easy to get bit by a rattlesnake or twist your ankle on some of those steep colorado mountains that you do so many miles in like there's a bunch of dangers out there and i i think you know, a little bit in grizzly terrain, like I've spent time in Alaska with grizzly bears, just, um, you know, where you're seeing them every day and they're coming into camp and, um, you know, and I've hunted places in Montana where you definitely see them and have them walk through camp and things, but you, you do get more comfortable with those situations the more time you spend and then feel pretty confident in your skill sets of being able to defend yourself, whether that's with the pistol or bear spray or like just by the moves you make is like take yourself out of those dangerous situations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely, uh, you know, I think about it when I'm, you know, in even areas that I've, I've hunted the last couple of years, a few spots that it's kind of on the edge of where the, where the grizzlies are at. And it's, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I feel safer when I take, take those precautions, but I mean, yeah, let's just knock on wood. Hopefully we don't have to, uh, we don't have to like, uh, hear about each other getting, getting tossed around by a mama bear so man it it does happen like um i don't need sasquatches out there there's real monsters in the woods and yeah there are there (laughs) are attacks that happen every single year and so man you do have to have your head on a swivel but grizzly bear terrain it's it's pretty wild terrain and wild country to hunt too it's got a different feel to it it just hits different it's like uh you know you're on an adventure you know and and there aren't bears around every corner or every tree like you start to realize that they're pretty few and far between that um you know i'll go a whole fall hunting thick grizzly country and won't even see a bear see a track like last year but you know i know they're around and know that i've got to keep my head on a swivel camp in good locations and you know and i just think about the odds of how many 
thousands of guys are out there hunting and how many run-ins they have. But, yeah, it does happen, and it is a danger. And so guys definitely got to be cognizant of it and careful of it. But, you know, there, too, there's also some really good hunting in grizzly terrain. Yeah. I know it affects draws. Every year when I'm looking at uh, a plane in Wyoming and Montana, it's like, it's like there's a ring around Yellowstone that has a whole lot better draw odds than everything else. Hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of I'm not the only one that kind of shies away from some of those units that that have thicker, uh, more densely populated uh, grizzly numbers. But yeah, that's uh, I think if I could get over that little the bear fear, I'd, I'd probably have a few more opportunities. But it's it's one of those things. Yeah, well, it's um, well, it's like uh, uh, you know, you get comfortable with the dangers that you're around, like those rattlesnakes, for instance. Like that would get inside my head trying to crawl in on those antelope, or like, you know, when I yeah. uh, travel to Australia and I go with those guys, man, there's brown snakes and tiger snakes and saltwater crocs, and then there's um, uh, taipan that are real aggressive snakes, and half of those things, if they bite you, you don't make it out of the bush before you're dead, and so, you know, me walking around that place, like, I'm I'm half petrified, like, looking around, and then I, <laughs> I think, like, these snakes, you know, they're like, oh, you see them before, the, you know, they get you or whatever, you'll see them in the brush, and then they've just got me in this absolute jungle of ferns and laid down trees and, uh, uh, like, a all these tangled webs of vines that are coming down and you're like, man, I'd never see a snake before he hit me, you know? And so <laughs> like, that's a real fear when I'm over there and when I'm hunting that I have to overcome. But in the same breath, those guys come over here and are scared of grizzly bears around every corner, around every tree. And not that those guys are petrified or anything like that, but it's just dangers that they're not used to. And so now all of a sudden it's this major concern. I'm like, hey, man, you guys hunt with tiger snakes and brown snakes and all kinds of stuff. Like you guys are the last guys that should uh, be scared of a grizzly bear. Like uh, I'd, I'd much rather handle a grizzly bear than one of those poisonous snakes. But, yeah, it's all kind of the what you're used to. And you coming from Michigan are not spending so much time in grizzly terrain like it's at the forefront of your mind and same thing with those guys from hawaii you get out in the ocean with them and they're like oh sharks are no big deal and you know it heck i'm looking in all directions everything i see i think is a giant shark coming from me and they just don't even have a concern about it even though people get bit and attacked by sharks in their waters all the time it's like not even a fear for them but then they come out here with grizzly bears and it's just different so it's all kind of what you're used to and and really we probably have a better chance of getting in a wreck heading to one of these western states to go hunt than we do actually getting attacked by a grizzly bear or even bit by a snake at that point but you know it's it's part of the it's it's part of the adventure too is like uh uh, the the mountains aren't nerfed and you're not totally safe and the the decisions you make directly affect your safety out there and so you have to make good ones and you have to think on the fly and you have to deal with real fear that we don't deal with like in the comforts of our own home and so uh, it's part of the adventure but yeah it's definitely like when we face things that we're not used to it it definitely gets like this elevated danger in our minds and our minds are just trying to keep us safe. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I bet you, you know, all, all the driving that I do between, you know, from home out west that first hunt and then bounce around from state to state to hunt these tags, I'm sure is exponentially more dangerous than 
rattlesnakes or the chance of a, a bear or or anything else while I'm actually in the mountain. That's probably that's probably the safest spot I go uh, while I'm away from home. Uh, the highways are probably and freeways are probably the worst place, but but uh, yeah, it adds to it for sure. Like I mean, I know there's you know the steeper the terrain, the more the you know you know some of these deer hunts and elk hunts that that I do in terrain. That's like you know you got to watch where you step. You got to watch you know what you're stepping on. Um, that adds a lot to it. I mean, you, you take that away and put that same hunt in a, in a much milder terrain and it's, it's not the same. Like there's, I mean, there's definitely something to it. Uh, part of the draw, I guess, maybe. Yeah, it's definitely part of the draw. And, um, also like the storms, like the one that really gets me or probably my biggest fear out there in the mountains are those lightning storms, man. And I've I've been in some really bad situations that have just scared the heck out of me when I was a younger hunter where, you know, I did make mistakes where I was camping on top or caught out on a ridge line. Or sometimes those storms can just form right around you where, you know, you're trying to read the weather and how these storms are coming in. And all of a sudden it just starts getting foggy around you and starts clouding up and you don't think too much of it. And then that first lightning strike is right on top of me, you know, and so, you know, I, I think I've even had like, and I hate to even compare it to like PTSD, you know, like what the military guys (laughs) go through, like putting their lives in danger, but it's these dangerous situations that I've been really close to death where I've had lightning strikes all around me or that I, I feel like I'm in danger, feel like. Uh, you know, my, my life is at risk and, and man, oh man, like I get anxiety when I see these storms or I know I have to ride out a bad one and I've got better over time just by putting myself in those situations, whether it's on the river, in the mountains of riding out these storms. And now, you know, I've got a few years under my belt where I know how to keep myself safe and camp in good locations. But I think on all these hunts, we kind of have to like face our fears or face these dangers. And the best way for me to do it is to like think myself through them. So to like think about these lightning storms and rolling in and reading weather and some high country hunts I go on, it's like you prepare for it and you can go 10 days of just perfect sunshine and never see a rain cloud and there's never a lightning storm comes in. And then the opposite can also happen where you go on a 10 day hunt and it is every afternoon you can see these thunderstorms building and just these mega storms come over you and these storms, they just hit so much different in the high country than they do in the safety of your house or your car or even at lower elevation riding out a storm but when you're way up there in the peaks like that and that high country trying to survive those things like the danger is real and it can come in every single day and then also you know it can kind of change the way you hunt and the way you're stalking deer and things so like i think there's these challenges on every hunt and 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 there's also like, you know, just the, the fear of the unknown or the fear of vast country by yourself or whatever the case is, it's kind of like these challenges that you have to overcome. And so I like to kind of think my way through them before I get on a hunt. But, man, I'm sure you've been in some dangerous lightning storms over the years hunting those high country. Oh, my gosh. When I The first couple of years I hunted deer in the high country. Like, a, a deer high country hunt isn't a hunt until you get, like, if you don't have the lightning, it's like, it's not even... I, I I just thought, well, I'm going to camp right on top of this mountain. i got a beautiful flat spot. I can see everything from here. I won't have to, you know, I just run these ridges, and, I'm, and oh, my gosh. You know, I, remember, I, I still remember seeing the first big black clouds rolling to, towards me, and I'm like, well, it's monsoon season. Yeah, this shouldn't take long, and uh, I don't camp up on top anymore. That's, yeah, that, I was, that, that was uh, foolish, and it's, 
I swear to God, I saw lightning like strikes and close to me, and it felt like the the clouds. Some of them that had lightning and and uh, thunder in them were below me. Like it it was. Yeah, that can that can scare the crap out of a man. Um, it's 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 one of those things that uh, I can understand what you're saying about the anxiety of it. I mean, yeah, you you'll never forget when your first you know being inside of your first uh, lightning storm up on top of the mountain. It's that's nuts. And a lot of times, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I mean. Colorado's notorious for it. That, that you know that that archery season for deer, that early archery. I mean, it's that's that's when they get their rains every afternoon, and it's it's common. I mean, it's almost like if you can plan your your day on it. Like, well, you know, afternoon's going to have an hour or two where we're not going to do anything except for take shelter and just make sure we don't get zapped. But it's yeah. Lots of things can could take us out, I guess. Man, maybe beers aren't so bad. <laughs> I got you talked into it, Tony. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah. I think it's good just to have like that safety protocol. So it's like not camping on those tops. So, yeah, I used to love it when I go mule deer hunting and I get a good forecast or you know. Sometimes I was like, before I'd been in some bad lightning storms, I was really naive to it. And it was like, man, this is great. I can camp on top. I'm right on the vantage point. I don't got to climb up and down every day. I can see where the mule deer are and make plays. But then um, you ride out a bad storm. And so, like, what I try to do is try to camp in a safe place now, even if I'm, you know, and I like to be, like, at least 500 feet off the tops, if not 1,000 feet off the tops. I like to find, like some timber to go ahead and get into like uh and set my camp up in there so i feel like i've got some shelter above me and you don't want to be by the one lone tree or the highest tree or something like that but a patch of timber is pretty nice and then um yeah i used to have like a lightning plan in the middle of the night now i camp in a good spot where i can ride out the storm in my tent but i know like i camping on ridge lines i've had a lightning plan where okay if it comes in i'll have to get off this ridge line and i've ended up like going down with my rain jacket and dropping elevation and just riding out gnarly rainstorms down there with just lightning all around me in the middle of the night you know which is super spooky you know so yeah it's, it's definitely good to have like a contingency plan or to camp in a good spot like that and then also you become part weatherman you start reading the storms and the way they yeah. come in and you start like uh being able to uh predict when they're going to come and go okay well i definitely don't want to stalk that deer right now at 11:5. i think i'll hold off down here and keep on the vantage point today's not the day to try to kill them i can see those things building in the distance um so yeah, you just have to play it smart, and yeah, your your um your decisions you make in the backcountry directly affect your safety, and you have to make good ones. And I think the the longer that we do it, the more comfortable we get with making these decisions and keeping ourselves safe. Uh, but boy, in my younger years, I used to go for it. There's definitely uh, more chances that I took, and so yeah, I think it's like. I think before any of these hunts, you should diagnose like, uh, uh, you know, the, the different challenges or the different dangers that you'll face and make sure you cover them. And that goes for like, you know, we're traveling remote country, Tony, and you're really well prepared with your truck when you come out west. But I mean, it can be as simple as like having a battery go dead, like in the, the middle of, uh, uh the middle of, 
of the backcountry and being 50 miles away from any help and no roads and having to try to hitchhike yourself out or find a ride if you don't have somebody to jump your battery. And heck, it just could have been you ran your radio too long. And who knows if you got cell phone service and definitely like a, a satellite messenger during season is uh, something that everybody should have on them because, you know, you could get help or somebody to help you. But even like... um losing your keys or something and not having an extra set or being stranded some of these places where we park and where we camp are so remote then man it'd, it'd take a lot to hike out of one of those places and so i know over the years i've had a bunch of those scenarios too or at least a handful of those scenarios where you can you know everything can be going fine and you're having fun and you're on this backcountry hunt and it can change in an instant with a breakdown or with a battery dead or you know any of those things can happen or even like some of these remote places like that place that i know we both hunt in montana well, you don't want to run out of water in a spot like that either. You know, you could get in real no. danger. And and actually, like that was like a, that hunt that we shared that one time. I remember like one of your closest calls was going oh, yeah. for a buck and not having enough water and getting severely dehydrated. I mean, that'll probably take you out quicker than it, like quicker than lightning or bears or rattlesnakes or any of that stuff is just human health. Like getting too dehydrated or pushing too far and having your body start to shut down or getting like um uh that heat stroke or whatever like that is super dangerous and especially how hard we push in the mountains like you know that should be at the forefront of our, all our minds as well yeah that was you know that that day that i uh, met up with you and, and dan uh, i think it was the day after uh that happened to me and and i there's not many days that uh, something will happen where i have to take a day off during the season like i mean it's it's you know usually i'm pretty you know focused all the time i have while the, while the, the season's actually open on getting the job done but i had to take a day off and i just i woke up that morning could not drink enough water and i, I probably needed more electrolytes than i needed just water but yeah I had, that was uh yeah that heat and i'm and i'm not you know i live in northern michigan so i'm not i, I don't deal with heat like that very often and uh yeah that that was scary um i i still remember it was probably only about five miles i had to hike back to the truck to get water but i'm just the sight of the of the vehicle when you know in that last mile and it's like your legs are, are starting to stop working and you're just like, like lifting them up like trying to you know move forward like i gotta get to that truck to get the, get more get water i mean it was ugh, yeah we're going to we're gonna have to name this podcast, like, all the things that can go wrong and how we messed up. <laughs> well, I think it's a good conversation for sure because there are real dangers out there. But, yeah, I remember running – I remember you telling me the story and, and talking about how close mm. you'd been. And, you know, we we get pretty good at managing dehydration or managing water and exertion in the heat. You know, we work construction out in the summertime, and then, you know, I'm always running in the heat, and so that gets my body used to it, do heat training in the sauna and things, and so I'm pretty well heat adapted. Uh, but in that same breath, man, it can sneak up on you so quick. And so, you know, a lot of these heat strokes, like the, the human body can die pretty quick. And I, you know, I, I have a couple stories, like one of my buddies in Hawaii, 
he was hunting in Hawaii. Uh, it can be really hot. It can also be really humid where you sweat a lot. And I've noticed, like, in Hawaii, I need to bring double or triple the water that I would anywhere in the States, mm. even with the same temperatures, because you just sweat a lot of it out. And I remember my buddy Sean, who's an absolute go-getter, man. The guy hunts so hard. He was going out to hunt this spot. Uh, I think it's called the Notch is the spot, and it's a pretty good hike out in real steep, rugged lava rock country out there, and he was hunting with his buddy, and they got back there, and his buddy had forgot his water. And so Sean, like, split his water with him, so now he's got half the water that he normally would. They hunted really hard that day, and then they hiked back to the rig. And he got back to the rig, and he was just looking for any kind of moisture, and he found, like, a water bottle that had been rolling around that tastes like plastic. You know how that goes, like all warm water in an mm-hmm. old plastic bottle, and he drank that. But he got home, and he didn't feel real good after he got home. And he had given himself heat stroke, and his um, – his, uh, uh, liver started to shut down. He had to go to the hospital oh, and then flow to Oahu. They actually thought they were going to have to do like some sort of a liver transplant. His body was totally wow. shutting down. He was as close to death as he's ever been and spent like a week or two in the hospital in there. I mean, the guy's tough as nails, uh, but it can just get any of us, you know, and that once you go too far, push your body too far, yeah, your um, uh, facilities can start to shut down, your organs can start to shut down, and so, like, it's a... It's a real concern that you're not pushing too hard. And and, and just uh, like one more, I remember watching this documentary of this guy that was traveling either the Congo or the Nile, like 500 miles he was backpacking along this river in Africa. And I remember like in the documentary, he had a journalist and a photographer that came to, to travel with him. And they were going to do a small section of this uh, river with him. And they had to like – like the river made a big bend and they were going to cut straight across. So they had to go like five miles across this bend, three to five miles, something like that. And I mean, we're not talking hundreds of miles this journalist and photographer are doing. Like they're going to do like 10, 20 miles with this guy and kind of take pictures and interview him and things. And then so they cut across this stream. So they have to go away from the river and they're cutting straight across this huge bend that would have been 15 miles across, but they can cut it right five miles across. And they start showing this guy, I can't remember, I think it was the the journalist, he started lagging in the back and he was getting hot and he was going and, and they're making their way across and then pretty soon it's all hands on deck and everybody's getting them water and then a couple of the porters are going to the river to get water to cool them down. They actually had to get a heli in there and he had got heat stroke and I mean we're just talking one day of hiking. They just left this town, they're doing this one day of hiking, it's humid, it's hot and he actually died before the helicopter got there of heat stroke. They could not cool that guy down. Wow. Yeah, that's you put it like that. I guess uh, maybe I was in a little more trouble there in Nevada than I thought. Definitely. Uh, I was seeing I was seeing funny things. That's for sure. But, man, I yeah, you don't think about it like that until you, until you hear how it takes somebody out. Man, and it would take a turn for the worse like so quick. I remember Dan and I pushed it pretty hard in Nevada one time. I had, we had enough water for the morning and um we were just going to hunt the morning and then i ended up we found a buck i ended up arrowing that buck but we put an arrow in him and we had to let him sit in his bed he wasn't quite dead yet had to give him some time and by the time we got to my buck it was afternoon and me and dan were both out of water and we ended up we had to butcher the deer up hang him there and then we had to just hike out and try to make it to the truck as he was all the way over the mountain range and then i came and got the buck the next day or whatever but i remember we pushed it pretty hard that day and I felt like 
Yeah, that's the the most dehydrated I've been since like probably wrestling, you know, where I've really pushed it. And I know Dan was getting in pretty rough shape too, where you know there was no water or no options but to make it to the truck. But you know, it it definitely got a little spooky there, where it's like, man, guy doesn't need to push it that far. That's for sure. No, and there's yeah, every like you say, you have to analyze what hunt you're doing and, and what train you're going to be in because I mean, you go to Colorado, most of the units you're going to find water pretty, pretty easily. So just throughout the day, you can fill up your stuff. But I mean, I remember hunting Utah probably about seven years ago now, and it was a dry, dry year. And I mean, I found one water source in there. And I mean, every time I'd go to filter my water, I'd have to push cattle out of the water. Like they'd be standing in it and drinking and pissing and just like, that's, that's the only option you got. Uh, unless you pack a bunch in, uh, and I mean, yeah, you can get yourself in trouble. It's it's definitely every state's got a different. I guess every state and every area has its own unique challenges, and uh, sometimes the the bears might not be the biggest challenge. <laughs> it might be the one that's <laughs> on my mind, but I'm probably much more likely to kill myself by not uh, by drinking all my water while I'm on a stock and not realizing it. Yeah, well, and I think it's just planning ahead, right? It's like 32 ounces mm-hmm. of water doesn't get you too far. Like, that's fine in Montana in cooler weather or whatever. 32 ounces will get me a day. But, yeah, I think it's just like packing enough water. And I've definitely learned my lessons there, like hunting in Hawaii. Like, 32 ounces will usually get me on a hunt. 50 ounces is like all day. I need to bring 100 ounces in Hawaii, and then every day I'm adding wow. more. So I end up with... 115 130 ounces for the day just to hunt a day out there um because my body just runs through it with that humidity and sweating so much and so i've just learned like different water needs in different places and uh yeah it definitely isn't isn't worth being dehydrated or putting yourself at risk and and also i've had it too where you're just pushing so hard and sweating so much out that um you know like uh uh i bonked too with just not getting enough salt in my body. Like, like uh, I remember like an ultra marathon that I ran where I gave myself, I'm not sure if it's like, um, you know, it's not quite altitude sickness, but it's like the altitude puts, uh, you know, it, it puts like another factor on you and it's almost like exertion sickness where you're just pushing so hard. And then pretty soon it's almost like I can't get hydrated. Like I will just keep drinking water and keep mm. drinking water and I'm still continuing to be thirsty. And then I'll almost like make myself sick where I'm throwing up, uh, from either the exertion, the high altitude, the, uh, you know, maybe it's lack of salt or my body out of balance. I've had it happen like on an ultra marathon. I had it happen like 20 years ago, chasing elk up in the hill guards up at 10,000 feet. And I, it was when I wasn't really training, but I was going so hard to try to kill a six point. And then I've also see it hit my buddies in Nevada after my buddy Coulter killed a really good buck. He got like that exhaustion sickness. And even my buddy Dan, like he got it in Colorado one year. And I think we just pushed like this really fast pace into camp and it was double digit miles and man he got in there he couldn't hold down water or food he was just throwing up everything and throwing up outside his tent and eventually had to get him to lower altitude until he could feel better so i'm not sure if it's like a a touch of altitude sickness or exertion sickness but man there's nothing worse than when you don't feel 100 percent. like all you want on these hunts is to come in 100 percent and feel good every day you know you're going to be tired you know you're going to be worn out but you just want your body to function right 
All right. And that's another one, altitude sickness, that uh, for someone like me, I mean, I live at a, a thousand feet above sea level here, and uh, I, I remember not realizing why I was so sick uh, in the tent. My first year coming out uh, west, you know, I, I think I parked the truck at like nine ninety five hundred feet, and you know, I, I think I was camped probably around twelve, and I just couldn't figure it out. You know, I woke up with a crazy headache, and I was just nauseous. I could, and nothing, you know, nothing looked good. Water didn't. I mean, I could, I could hardly drink water. I could nothing. I couldn't eat, and I, I toughed through it. I got lucky. Um, but yeah, looking back now, man, I probably should have dropped some altitude, but. Um, I know guys that have had to drop altitude and even, you know, went, went to that, went into emergency care or whatever and um, had close calls. It's uh, it's definitely something if, you know, if anybody's listening that's, you know, in the Midwest or out east and you're headed out west, try to uh, try to get there earlier. At least don't just climb up to the top, you know, the top the first day. I mean, I, I still to this day now, I try to, you know, whatever, I'll scout the low stuff first uh, if I'm in a, in a unit with really high alt- uh, altitude and uh take my time you know a day or two is about all i need now you know if i get there and if i can you know if i know i have to get up above eleven thousand feet or 10 10 5 it's i want to have at least a day you know around that eight nine thousand foot you know to, to let my body kind of get used to it and uh even even then like that first day i, I mean I'm, it's I'm not 100 percent it takes it takes a little while luckily i've been the last few years i've had uh hunts where they're kind of that middle elevation so i'm actually hunting at you know five six seven thousand feet and then do that for a couple weeks and then move up it's, it's a lot easier on the body um and it's and it doesn't matter it's not something you can train for like uh uh you know dan there at, at eastman's a couple years ago when uh they went uh to Tajikistan or wherever they went, he, I mean, he got the altitude sickness real bad, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Tajikistan. And he's super fit. A super yeah. fit. Yeah, they actually say oh. over there it's some of the fit guys are the ones that have the problems. Like the guys that are out of shape don't have as many problems. I, you know, I do think you can prepare yourself for it. I, I, you know, it can happen to the fittest of us, and you don't know when it's going to be right. In Tajikistan, they were hunting like close to 16,000 feet or at least over 14,000 feet. So they were really high up in the mountains. I I do think like uh, uh, physical fitness plays a role. I think spending time at elevation, like I do a lot of my trail runs at high elevation throughout the summer. And I think I just acclimate my body and get it used to it. Um, so I, I do think that the better you prepare, the better you are walking up hills or in the mountains, the better shape you're in. I just think that the better you acclimatize, the better your body does in those situations. But it is about like finding your pace in those mountains. And just like you, like, I mean, I live at pretty high elevation. I live at about, oh, uh, uh, 5,500 feet. And then, you know, I commonly run at seven, 8,000 feet in elevation and then get, uh, quite a few runs in at like a 10,000 feet in elevation, but I notice it, Tony, just like you're saying, like that altitude, it puts a different, like a, a different uh, a stressor on your body. And so all of a sudden you're not fueling your, your muscles with this much oxygen. And so my muscles get fatigued climbing hills that I'd run up at home that aren't anything. 400 feet in elevation, 600 yeah. feet in elevation are nothing to me, but I get at 12,000 feet and start climbing those same hills. 
and takes yeah. me a lot longer. I notice I don't catch my breath as much, but just the fatigue and then like my body acts a little funny at altitude. Like I'm, I don't sleep real well the first couple nights. Um, uh, I can have appetite suppressant, so I'm not eating as much as I should to refuel my body after big exertions. Uh, I notice mm-hmm. I'll kind of get headaches or I'll get maybe even a little dizzy when I get up in the morning or the first time I stand up. And so I'm always trying to keep tabs on my body at high altitude as well. And you're right. If you can just let yourself acclimatize uh, to it, you know, you'll start feeling more and more normal back there in the mountains. But the first couple of days can be rough. So the same as you, like on my drives down to Colorado I'm trying to stop and I've got a pass that I like to sleep at that's like at 11,000 feet and so I'll sleep there the first night or just sleeping at that altitude and then also just pace is like I just don't want to go blow myself up with a 20 mile hike with 6,000 feet of vertical gain the first day I get there. I know that all right, I'm, it might take me a couple days to get back to where I want. Like I need to just take it like nice and steady, easy and slow where I don't overdo it. But yet even me that trains for it, that is in uh, great shape, like built for these mountains, like it altitude is on my mind when I'm hunting out high altitude places. And even above 10,000 feet for that matter, I start to feel it up there and feel just a little bit different where it takes my body a bit to get used to it. So yeah, it's a, it's a real concern when you're coming anywhere hunting out west and especially the like these high altitude hunts yeah yeah it's it's definitely something you gotta think about uh it seems like it's usually us easterners that that are midwesties that that get ourselves in trouble get out there and start getting sick and have to get get off the mountain you do a good job of your pace while you're hunting in the mountains tony like you seem to give really good exertion day in, day out. Um, but, you know, and, and just observing from afar, like, um, man, like you get to Colorado, you're backpacking, looking for these bucks. Like, God, you're not afraid to put on backcountry miles. And sometimes you're camping back there and sometimes you're just putting on day hunts where you're covering country back there. But you tend to, like, build your body up pretty quick or get in western shape pretty quick. Is there, like, a, are you doing a lot of training before you come out there in the summertime? Or do you uh, just keep yourself in good health and good shape and then get out here and start to get in the um, in the rhythm of backcountry hunting because you do spend so many days out here? Or what's kind of your routine to get your body used to the, like, the exertion you're going to have out here? Um, well, I've always been a runner. Uh, I, mean, I just ran a half marathon a couple days ago uh, here in my, my hometown. Um I I like to train, just do hikes. You know, the wife and I will go for just a hike, and I'll throw a backpack on. You know, and, and I don't do crazy weights anymore. I used to really push it uh, with the weight. I mean, I remember literally having a. I got these different weight sandbags, and I would throw a hundred pounds, and uh, well, the total backpack was a hundred pounds, and I would make sure I did that at least a couple times every summer. And I don't do that anymore. Like I I do not put more than probably forty five pounds um on anymore i figure you know if when i gotta pack out a deer a whole deboned deer off the mountain that'll be my one time or two times a year whatever i I, i'm i try not to stress my joints like i used to i'm you know i'm getting getting older none of us are getting younger but i mean uh it's I, i still try to run i still try to i watch what i eat and try to limit uh junk food and uh really don't 
you know, I don't, there's a lot of things I just don't, I don't drink pop. I don't drink energy drinks. I don't drink any of that crap. Um, it's, uh, so I, I mean, I try to keep myself healthy. The wife is great at that. She's, uh, crazy fit and super healthy. And, um, so, so we keep each other in check that way. And, uh, but I think training with a backpack is probably for me. And I just, I just mean hiking, you know, just, just, just moving with it out, you know, I mean, even if you're just going to mow the lawn, throw, you know, and throw 35 pounds in a backpack and just, just get used to that weight being on your hips and, you know, figure out, you know, a lot of guys come out West and they don't even know how their backpack works. Like they don't even know what the load lifters are. They don't, they don't know how to distribute the weight between their shoulders and their hips. Um, so not only are you going to get your legs and your core stronger by just doing training hikes, uh, at home, hiking up hills, hiking roads, whatever. Even if you don't, if you don't, if you live in a flat area, find a, a gymnasium or a stadium, outdoor stadium, and hike up and down the steps. Just get used to exerting yourself with with a with a load on your back, and and it doesn't have to be. And I and I don't I mean, I I know I did damage my body uh, with extreme loads, whether it been you know hike hauling out a whole year or, or those trainings with a hundred hundred pound backpacks. So I don't I don't tell people to do that anymore um but i think i think 30 40 pounds in a backpack i mean i mean that's what you're going to be most likely going to have on your back whether you're if you're backpacking anyways while you're hunting so uh if you can't do it at home uh you're not going to do it very well in the mountains so um that's basically my that's that's my routine for uh for staying in shape i don't i don't hit the gym like i used to i mean when i was in college i, I spent a lot of time trying to built muscle and you know just bodybuilding but i i don't you know i'm a pretty skinny guy it was always hard for me to to get put mass on um and now and now i just focus on basically staying lean staying and maintaining the shape i have so it's um and you know we're all built differently right i mean i think you and i probably are built you know to put miles on in the mountains i've got buddies that that aren't you know they're uh you know physically built the same and it's you know, it's it's harder for them to do the things that that we do um some of them still get after it and it, um, you know it's, it's amazing that they, they can with the body design that they have but um you just gotta figure out what you can do and i think that um you know there, there are things like uh like like that western hunting summit that we went to and did last year together i mean i mean that's those are great for for guys that i mean if you're gonna come out west you want to come out west i mean those are those will those will show you what what you're gonna need, um, and it's good for it was good for me too. Like you know to, to, to hike with Brian Barney and, and and figure out how slow I actually am in the mountains. And, th- and that, maybe that's maybe that's just the key is I go I go really slow uh, hiking compared to some of you guys, and uh, I, I glass more that way. I mean whenever I get tired, I just stop and throw my binoculars up and pretend like I'm glassing. That's, uh, <laughs> that's how I find gear. <laughs> yeah. No, you do. Uh, you do great, Tony. That's why I was asking. Yeah, what well, and it is pace in the mountains too. And you're right. That is why you find deer. It's like every time you stop to throw up the binos, uh, <laughs> that does that does pick out deer. But yeah, you do so good. Uh, like keeping the weight off your frame as well. Like I think a light frame. And I just love what you said there. Like hiking with the weight on the back. You know, I used to run too much where then I didn't get the backpack on my back. And so then when I started backpacking, my my back and my core had to get used to that weight. And so I do try to 
have more of the the rucking and then I noticed for me weight on the back is the equalizer and also elevation like the uphills and things and so mm. you know when I'm running I try to run a lot of single track trails and you know similar to you it's like you did that half marathon the other day as I did um, a good 10 miles in the mountains the other day which is great for me and that that tends to get my body used to it and also you know, I do some body weight exercises and then do some stretching, which really helps to keep overall strength. But I got to be careful that I don't put too much muscle on my frame either, because it takes a lot yeah. to move that muscle around that the mountains. And so had, being that lean and fit sure seems to, to help. But yeah, you just um, getting that body just used to that constant exertion, whether that's running or rucking or like you said doing stairs of the stadium just getting the body used to that exertion day in day out uh it just gets you ready for the exertion that the mountains are going to take out of you where it takes that constant effort day in day out and i notice like when you're in good shape and you've trained yourself it, it also it just keeps your mind sharp it keeps you engaged in the hunt or this positive thinking where uh it just makes the hunt more fun and you know that your body can can put up with the stresses that you're going to give it. You know that you you can count on your body to get a deer out of if you kill a deer 10 miles back, you know you can bone it out and get it out of country because uh, your body can withstand the the stress of it. And so I think it's just good when you have trust in your body like that. And yeah, definitely I think as we get older, like work harder at it and we do all have different body types, but you can also like train your body type for the mountains. And I think that's exactly what we've done is it's like year after year, we're in the mountains doing these hunts. We're training for them by rucking or by running the mountains. And pretty soon we've got a body type that's just built for the mountains because we've trained it that way. And it, uh, it makes it a lot easier for us, but the, the mountains are never easy, even coming in in top physical shape. They sure challenge you, don't they? Like, it's like I can train oh, my yeah. absolute heart. They are always a test in there. They are always going to push my limits and push what I'm capable of. And I think that's why I continue to train so hard is I just know that I'll enjoy the hunt more. And I know that they're going to be extremely difficult this season when I get on a hunt. Yep. Even regardless of how much I, I work to get in shape before I head out west, the first hunt, and depending on what it is, you know, like, like the antelope hunt I did last year. I mean, I, I walked a lot of miles, but it was relatively flat. Um, but, um, I mean, after a hunt or two, and, and this is, I mean, not every guy is going to have the time that I have to, 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 to do this, but after two or three hunts, by the time I hit my second or third state, I am, I mean, it's nothing for me to get down to my college weight and, and probably look like I did when I was 20 years old after just a handful of hunts. Um, and, you know, it's... It doesn't. It, it's so. I, mean, I guess that's not to say that it doesn't. It, it still helps to, to to keep yourself in shape beforehand. But you're not. Nothing's going to prepare you 100% for what what your body's going to go through on a, you know, on, on a backpack hunt if you're in steep mountains. But but if you if you stack a couple of them on top of each other, um, you be. It's a. It's amazing uh, how much easier it becomes after, uh, you know, doing it every day for three four weeks straight. And and you yeah I go home every year after my uh, my my fall trip out west just feeling like I mean it's, it's the absolute best I'll feel all all year long and yeah and I will say too uh, to that uh, if you're not careful the older you get the faster it is to to lose that feeling like I mean I'll come home after these trips and be home for a couple weeks usually 
process all the meat and get everything in the freezer, get my life back in order. And then it's usually not too long before I'm headed to Kansas and Nebraska, Eastern Montana, wherever I'm hunting the plains in, in November for deer. And if I'm not careful, like, you know, some of those easy hunts where you're going back to a house or a cabin every day, uh, and, you, you know, and I'm usually hanging out with buddies, so it's like we're eating well. We've got, you know, <laughs> it's it's real easy. It's becoming harder and harder uh, for me to, to maintain with you know without being really careful um i can put i can put that weight back on so fast and um you know a few weeks of not you know yeah i might still be like walking five to six miles a day whatever but it's flat and i'm not putting my body through that 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 constant stress and it uh you can lose it fast and i think that's you know growing up when i was when i was younger i i'd hear guys that were talking that were that were my age that i am now uh, saying you know it's much easier to ma- to maintain it and to to work all year long than to you know work like crazy for a little while and then slack off and lose it because once you hit a certain age and I, I would say probably mid to late 40s for me was it's really hard to I mean it's hard to once you've slacked off and, and gained a little bit extra pounds you got yourself out of shape to get back to that uh, it just takes more effort to get back to where you want to be so um i i, I absolutely think maintaining uh, you know your, your shape is much much more important the older you get that's so true it just rings so true to me tony in my mid-40s and yeah i definitely know it as the years come on like weight comes on me easier in the winter time i've got to be careful of what i eat more strict on my diet eating real foods and then you know my mileage goes down in the winter time so i can't eat as much as i was in the summertime when i'm pushing these hard long miles and just like you said like i'll get myself in really good shape during season i know once i have a backpack or two a backpack hunt or two behind me man i'm just in such rip and shape for the rest of the season it's great but yeah i can get out of shape in a hurry as well so it's like maintaining it is the most important thing and the older we get the harder we have to work and the more forefront it has to be in our mind uh, of making sure we're eating right and eating healthy and getting that exercise day in day out you know i also like i used to have trouble putting muscle on my frame to where now I just don't. I'll like stick more muscle on and I'll get a little heavy from, you know, bulk as well that I need to be careful that I'm, you know, not getting like muscles good for the mountains. Don't get me wrong, but it's like the you need Mm -hmm. to teach these muscles endurance is the most important thing. So I need to be careful that I'm not packing on too many pounds of muscle as well, you know. And so, uh, man, I just think you couldn't be more spot on with your advice is like, um just keeping in that shape and maintaining and trying to be in good overall fitness and shape throughout the year and not just peaking for hunting season. And so it's like making these lifestyle changes. And then, um, yeah, you just have to work so much harder at it as you get older. Like you can get away with so much in your youth, you know, you can eat like crap and not exercise and then just (laughs) charge the mountains, you know, uh, but it starts to catch up to you over time. And it's something you have to maintain and really work at. And yeah, the, the far, the further you get out of shape, just the tougher it is to get back into that top physical shape. And so you're better off to just like keep it. And I noticed like I I lost quite a bit 
doing the house. Like I'm a, a year round. I work oh. out and it's such a priority in my life, but I got so busy doing my personal house to where, you know, getting my house done in these 12, 14 hour days became the priority. And it's not good for, it's not good for my uh, mental sanity. And it's also not good mm-hmm. for my physical shape and not, I'm in good shape because I'm putting in so much work and burning so many calories, but it's different. I'm not in the mountain shape for climbing mountains or for packing a pack. And so, you know, it took me a little bit to get back into the routine after doing that. And I definitely lost a step or two just because I was working so much. And so, yeah, I definitely have to be careful too. And it's really easy to get too busy at work to where – I'm not working out. Like it's really easy for me to get too stressed and to have a deadline. And now all of a sudden there's a week where I'm not working out and I just can't let myself do that. I just, it's got to be such a priority in my life, especially as I get older. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And, uh, and as, as much as I, I hate to say it, uh, I've heard you comment on it before, but, um, it's, you know, my wife got me, you know, she badgered me until I, I went with her to yoga, and that is something that has helped me. Um, maybe not so much shape, I and mean, some of the stuff that she does is real work, but just deep stretching with a warm, you know, like keep those rooms warm. Is, I mean, that that makes my body feel so good. Um, and I don't go. I mean, if I go once every two weeks, it's probably a lot, but or normal. But um, it, I mean, it doesn't sound very masculine. Uh, or tough to, to say it, but it's, uh, it, it helps my old achy body. That's for sure. Oh man, Tony, you're so spot on. Like the stretching and flexibility is such a huge part of our strength. Right. And so like, you know, it, it, for me, it does no good to be strong and be able to lift things, but I can't get in awkward positions and lift things or it'll pull my back out or something. And that flexibility yeah. just fixes that. And I think that flexibility helps you so much, like in the mountains, carrying a pack, awkward positions, man. It's so key for my health, too, is my stretching. And then also, I think it helps with balance and body coordination. And so I think it really comes yep. into play when you're stalking those deer. Like stalking deer takes so much out of me i'm exhausted it's so tough to move slow and controlled and control your noise and your footfalls and then you know over logs or under trees or having to freeze in awkward positions like i think that yoga and stretching really comes into play there as well as like um really helping your balance and just um just knowing your body so i'm glad you mentioned that tony and glad it's helping you out because you've had back problems in your past and you were saying that that backpacking has helped them. I'm sure like the yoga and stretching has helped them. Like all these things we're doing, we can still continue to, to push ourselves to our limits in the mountains, you know, getting into our mid forties or late forties or even fifties. Like we can continue to do what we love to do just by the care we take of our bodies. So I think it's real important. You mentioned that and you've just done like a, a stellar job of keeping yourself in shape. And the other thing I see is as guys get older, they start to lose their passion or their motivation or their ambition. And um, that's uh, where I've I've been really impressed, Tony, is like you haven't lost an ounce of your passion. I think you gain more each and every year. And I really <laughs> admire that because I'm that same way, man. I just want to keep the passion for it. Oh, yeah. No, it's it, the desire is still a uh, fire still lit for me to get uh, get out there and and find what I'm looking for. Uh, and I think that, uh, I mean, I'm, yeah, my life's better off, uh, 
for having discovered backpack hunting. I mean, you know, if I go back 15 years ago when I did have back problems and um, I wasn't I wasn't hunting the West, I was hunting the Midwest. I was basically doing the same thing I do now. The mountains across Illinois, Iowa, uh, Indiana, uh, Ohio, Kansas, um, and I'd sit in tree stands, or I'd you know I'd, I'd spend all every single day of November in some random state sitting on my butt and you know at that time when i was young enough i wasn't gaining weight but i tell you what there's you want i sitting down is not good for me like my body does not react to it well and uh yeah i i, I mean i was after one year of backpack hunting i mean the first year was tough i, I dealt with some serious pain and sciatica and my, my body was trying to figure out what the hell was going on and why aren't we sitting on our on our ass for you know 10 hours a day waiting for a big white tail to walk by but that next year and after the training that i did that summer for it i mean i literally all my back pain went away knock on wood it's it's gone and i mean i still have a uh my l4 and l5 are herniated in my back and they're there but everything around it's strong enough now that um it, it doesn't hurt anymore and i don't have that shooting pain down my leg and um it is it's happened because of how I've had to keep my body strong enough to carry a backpack. That's, that's the only thing that's changed. That's, um, and you know, the yoga thing's only been in the last four or five years, um, because of my wife, but that absolutely helps everything. I mean, I, I mean, even when I was in high school and college playing sports, I didn't stretch enough. Like I, whatever, I didn't put much into it. And I, and, uh, now that I realize now that I've been shown actually what stretching can do, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's important. And it's, yeah, I, my body doesn't, you know, doesn't feel any better than, uh, when I come back home from hiking around the mountains for a couple months and then go to some yoga classes with the wife. It's like, wow. Like, I feel like I could live forever. <laughs> That's the goal. Uh, at least enjoy what we love to do for as long as we can enjoy it. But yeah, I need to get into some of those yoga classes too, Tony. I, I do, uh, my stretches here around the house, which are great, but the yoga class is so like, uh, the intensity and, and to really focus on it for an hour, it does really seem to open up like a lot of flexibility. So I've got to get into some of those classes as as well but um man tony well i i really appreciate your friendship i always like getting you on the horn and talking whether it's on the podcast or not uh make sure to go check out tony's videos um man your uh videos have been coming out really good man you got to be really proud of those yeah um the the, the nevada film came out great i thought um i mean i'm not editing them I mean, and there's there's a professional well I'll, I'll call him a professional i think he's great at it um it's not his full-time gig but uh cam hill's been doing a great job putting those together and uh the nevada ones the elk hunt has seen or has been getting a lot of good praise uh the we got one more yet to come out uh our planes hunt which uh, uh spoiler alert uh, there's only one deer that gets shot in it and my camera froze up so uh because of the cold and i didn't know it until afterwards so there's no kill shot so if you need that um you want to skip by, but it is a pretty cool story of us getting our asses handed to us last year in the plains, um, and had opportunity, plenty of opportunity, but it was there's a lot of struggle and a little bit of a little bit of uh, success at the end. But it's yeah, just three guys having a lot of fun in the in the plains, 
I, uh, I plan to, to film again this year, and I mean, it might just be an antelope hunt and me me running from the grizzlies in Montana, but uh, wherever I'll be, I'll, I'll be trying to do it again. Man, really cool. Uh, is it uh, on your YouTube or Rockslide, or where's the best place to check it out, Tony? Yeah, so uh, Rockslide has been hosting all my films, uh, so it's uh, uh, Rockslide's YouTube channel, Rockslide with a K, no C. Yeah, super cool, man. Yeah, go check out Tony's videos. Uh, they definitely show like he's just out there doing it like we're doing it, you know, uh, self-guided public land, you know, which is really cool. And, um, man, I just uh, – uh, your skills have grown so quick, so fast. Like um, it almost forces you to, you know, as you start filming these hunts and putting them together and realizing what you miss in the early films or whatever. But, yeah, you're getting really oh, yeah. good at it, Tony. So. Uh, go check those Thanks, out. Man. Check out uh, Tony's social media. He's one of the best follows out there. And, um, yeah, uh, just wish you a good season, Tony, and have some fun out there. And, yeah, call me if you need anything, and, and uh, we'll keep in touch. That sounds good, Brian. I appreciate the friendship. Yep. Likewise. Okay. Bye. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Fun to have Tony on the podcast. I really like catching up to that guy. Thanks to him for his time and willingness to share information. And, um, man, we're just cruising. Thanks to our sponsors for today's show. Thanks to Zamberlin, Cryptech, Black Ovis, and Camo Fire. And uh, thanks to Eastman's for their support. Again, check out that Mule Deer course. You can put in the promo code BRIAN, save you 10% on it. And then uh, also check out that new podcast, uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Life of a Bow Hunter. Me and Dan Picard get on there and wrap. Uh, right now it's every couple weeks till we can, um, you know, see if we can make a go at this thing and um, if people like it and, and um, pick up some sponsorships and things. So, uh, yeah, you can go check out those episodes. There's six out. We'll release the seventh one this Friday. And, um, man, we'll keep cruising. Uh, really proud of how that thing's coming out. And, uh Man, just busy here. It's summertime. Construction's booming. Had a, a Western Hunting Summit up with Lampers, which was great for three, four days up in the breaks. And then um, back here to work for a few days and then back over to another summit this next weekend. Um, so, yeah, just um, super busy, really trying to wrap up these construction jobs. Uh, but, um, yeah, trying to get ready for fall and make sure I'm getting my training in. So some good miles here lately. And uh, just trying to keep my head right and all the stress, you know, that goes. It's like life isn't easy for anybody, and um, you have to work pretty hard at it, make sure that you're productive and um, getting things done and and uh, taking care of responsibilities so we can cut these legs loose come fall. So uh, that's what I'm working on. I do have a good trip coming up where I'm going to go hang out with my buddies over in Hawaii and do a little hunting. So uh, really looking forward to that. And, um, yeah, just trying to get some things done here. So. Uh, we'll get this podcast out to you guys and uh, keep working away and um, try to get uh, myself set up good for fall. So hopefully you guys got some good adventures you're looking forward to and uh, getting yourself ready for the hunting season as well. So thanks as always, guys, for all the support and making this podcast go. I uh, really appreciate it. This is like one of the best endeavors I've ever embarked on is doing this podcast and uh, just want to make sure that I'm delivering to you guys with quality information and quality podcasts. So uh, I'm really going to work hard here as we come into the summer months and come into hunting season. So get on here and record some solos. I gave a talk at the last Western Hunting Summit. Uh, that was all about elk spot and stock and, um, you know, and just the things that, that helped make me successful over the years and uh, really dove deep into it. So 
I'll get on here, record a solo episode on that. Also want to do one on uh, mule deer hunting and um, antelope and then uh, just thoughts on uh, preparedness and things of that nature. So uh, definitely be getting those out as well as some great guests lined up to have some good in-depth conversations. So yeah, we'll just keep it rolling for you guys. So uh, really appreciate all the support. And with that, check in with you guys next week.